it gets a little trickier. When I was seven, my parents got divorced and my dad moved two states away. I got to see him once a year and it hurt. My mother got remarried and when I was in junior high, my stepfather drilled a hole in my bedroom wall to watch me change clothes. Then shortly after I graduated high school, he sat on my bed and said, you know I could force you and you'd never tell your mom. And then when I told my family I wanted to move out and get an apartment of my own, I started working. My stepfather forbade them to keep in touch with me. My mom didn't talk to me till after he passed away. My sisters, I had three sisters, they weren't allowed to communicate with me. And at that time, I learned some things about how to protect myself. You see, if I needed comfort or advice, I had to be independent. Because if I went to my mom, she wouldn't be there for me. If I didn't let myself be alone in a room with a man, I wouldn't be hurt in that way. If I didn't share secrets of my heart with friends or or siblings, they wouldn't betray my trust. So I spent a good part of my life trying to protect myself. What happens, though, when we do that is we build little walls up in parts of our heart. When we build those walls in parts of our heart, it keeps people from hurting us, but it also shuts out the presence of Jesus. See, the presence of Jesus itself is what brings healing. It's not something that he does for you, it's who he is. And when I I asked Jesus into my heart, He came in and it was wonderful, but there were places that he was denied access because there were walls that I didn't know how to take down. And so he began this process of changing me, of of renewing me, of healing me, but it took a while because I still didn't know about walls and about him having me, but not having all of me. And I remember that there was a day when I was in the fellowship hall, probably 10 years ago, when I was sitting with a small group of women and one of them said to me something about being sexually abused. And I remembered that I knew what that felt like. Do you know why I had to remember? Because my healing was complete. Not only did those memories not hurt anymore, they weren't a part of my identity because Jesus had taught me how to take down the walls and I let him in. And when he came in, when he finally gained access, my healing happened. So when I asked the Lord what he wanted me to share today, He said, I want my people to give me access to all of them. 
I made a decision that I would no longer live my life in fear of being hurt. Because you know what? I'm going to get hurt again. And I'm going to get hurt a lot. But it's not the end of the world because Jesus really is good at his job. He really is bigger than betrayal. He really is bigger than heartache. You know what it's called when you have those walls? It's called a broken heart. Jesus wants us to bind up the brokenhearted. That's how he gets his family connected with him. I will no longer live my life from an attitude of fear of being hurt, but I will embrace, I will celebrate, I will rejoice in the fact that Jesus had an answer for that and that it's real and that it's available to anyone who will take down those walls. Do you want to know how to take them down? There's two things. One, forgiveness. Jesus tells us forgive 70 times 7. And some people have figured out the math. They go 490. I'm, the problem with that is you're still trying to count. <laughs> I believe that Jesus meant forgive forever. Forgive forever. You know why? Because it's good for you. That's the first one. To take the walls down, you have to forgive whoever it is. Sometimes it's ourselves. Sometimes it's God. I forgive you for asking me to live through that. The second thing is to resist the temptation to want to take control. Somebody told me that the Christian life is a walk that's like going on a road trip with Jesus. And at the time, I imagined going on a road trip and I thought about what I would pack and that I would want to bring snacks in the car and maybe some water and I'd want to know the final destination. Now, when somebody says it's like a road trip to Jesus, I'm ready to jump in the front seat and let him just drive, right? I know that when I get hungry, he's either going to stop or he's going to have something for me. And I don't need to know the final destination. I'm just sitting in the seat enjoying the scenery. That's the goal, right? Freedom. When I have the, the, the temptation to grab that steering wheel, Jesus is no longer Lord in that area. For him to bring his healing, he needs you to forgive and he needs you to surrender control. So I'm wondering if there's anybody here today that has an area in their heart that they still need healing in. I do. And I'd like to pray for us today. Holy Spirit, would you come and reveal to us any walls that we've built to protect ourselves? Father God, I repent of any way that I've bought into the idea that I need to protect myself. 
I release forgiveness. Lord, and I set those people free from any debt that they owe me. Jesus, when I gave you my heart, when I asked you to be my Lord, I meant it. And as this wall comes down, Jesus, would you have that part of me too? Would you help me to trust you? Would you help me learn not to give in to the temptation to protect myself? Would you deliver me from the fear, Lord, of being hurt? And acknowledge that no matter what the hurt is, you're big enough and you're able enough that your very presence will heal us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, praise the Lord. Um, just everybody come shake a hand that you haven't shook before and welcome each other. Well, find a seat, and uh, we want to welcome you to Crossroads Christian Center. There's a, if you're a visitor, there's a card in front of the pew in front of you to fill out, and we can get uh, some information on you. We don't share it with anyone, but it's just so, so we can contact you, keep you informed. Uh, we have a weekly e-newsletter. It comes to you through, through email. keeps you in touch with uh, the announcements that we have uh, throughout the week. So if you're not subscribed, let us know uh, what your email address is. We'll send that out to you. And we have a Holy Spirit-filled marriage seminar coming up January 12th. Uh, yeah, yay. We all need that, at least uh, married folks, right? <clears throat> right, honey? So come. I mean, I'm, I'm really, we're going, right? Yes. Okay. So... <laughs> Well, you have to check with the Lord. I mean, you have to check with the spouse. So, uh, but, you know, we had our, our Holy Spirit uh, conference, you know, and, and the Lord's doing, you know, he just kind of launched us into a new mode. You know, it's a new season. Um, it wasn't just for those that went. Okay. Uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't work that way because we're one. We're one in the body. Right. 
So the Holy Spirit, even in our marriages, is going to do something phenomenal. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, we have our sermons recorded. They're online, and you can uh, find that. There's a, a link in the newsletter that comes out to you. And our Thirst Conference, January 24th and 25th, uh, pastors have opened it up, so there's no charge for coming and attending. It's open to anyone. Uh, invite your friends, family. Uh, I mean, just... Be creative on who you you invite. Uh, The Lord has something that he wants to share with us, and this is going to be a powerful time. Uh, And then we have our uh, Jordan River baptism that we're going to Israel. There's a number of us that are going, right, Robin? And Mike? And uh, so there are some spots left, but they need to know if you can make it or not. I'm Rhonda and I are going too. We're we're looking so much for that. We've been trying to go for a few years now, but um, Lord's made a way for us to get there. And you know, these, when you invest in your lives, I mean, yeah, it's it's some money to get there. But when you're, it's a it's an investment in your own life, in your own spiritual life, and that's what we do. You know, that's that's what we are all about. We take the next step in the direction that the Lord wants us to to go. Christmas Eve, we have a candlelight service. Be only one hour, guaranteed. We've been there for a number of years now. And, uh, I mean, 6 o'clock and you're out of there. So it's time to come and they'll have communion. Bring your your family out there. It's a good uh, tradition that you can develop. And our partners, missionary partners of the week, are actually our guest speakers today. Mark and Daylene Good. So it's, it's a powerful word that they have brought too. So um, I'm not going to steal from what they're going to say. <laughs> Rhonda, you, you have an announcement? Yes. Today is our wonderful day to treat the Leota family to a wonderful Christmas. Yay, we've been looking forward to this. I see Lacey and Alvin in the back there. Lacey and her daughter will be coming to our uh, party this afternoon. So 4.30 at Teresa's house. Teresa, you want to shout out your address? And that is in the newsletter. So don't forget your potluck dishes and your presents that you purchased for the Leota family. We're, we're going to bless your socks off today. <laughs> uh, we're going to take our tithes and offerings now. And remember, this is, uh, this is December, so if you want tax credit, you know, remember that. Keep that in mind. It's always helpful. Uh, but also, remember our missionaries, too. Uh, we have a double couple here today, so remember them and uh, give as much as you like to give. Lord Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives, Lord, because greater are you that is in us, Lord, and by your great provision, you've given us the things that you are accomplishing in our lives and through us, Lord. Bless this offering, Lord, let it be used to further your ministry. In the name of Jesus.
offering, go ahead and feel free to stand and join with us in song. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my be seated. Praise the Lord. We've got a good day here. Lord's uh, really blessed us with uh, some good pastors and missionaries here. Uh, and uh, I don't want to steal all your thunder, so I'll make it short. But uh, uh, Mark and Daylene, right? Mark and Daylene, good. Our missionaries to France. And uh, they, they have a long history with our pastors, so they'll share all that, too. So, uh, Mark, or Daylene. Okay. Well, we just want to say that it's, um, it's a privilege to be with you this morning. I think you've been, you've been supporting us for 10 or a little, little more than 10 years. So every time we come, we enjoy worshiping with your um, worship team and with you. And it's just, it blesses us to be here. So we just want to say thank you for your prayer and your investment in our lives. Um, we do know Pastor Dave and Lynn, we love your pastors. In fact, Mark and I went to school with Lynn. And um, she, even as a college student, was always a model of someone who was passionate for Jesus. So we, we first went out on the mission field. We were in Hong Kong uh, for a year and a half, but God had called both Mark and I um, to Bangladesh as children. The same missionary visited both of our churches. Um, I was in Fremont area. Mark was in Quincy. And through that, God called us to Bangladesh, and we loved being in Bangladesh for 14 years. Um, and again, your pastors came a couple of times, brought a team one of those times, and led in a women's conference that was a very powerful, like a sovereign breakthrough for Bangladesh. And um, just really, really 
thankful, really thankful that we got to be a part of that and that you, that you came, um, that you blessed, um, that they blessed us. So, and, and broke the nation through in a new way. Well, it was 2007, and Mark and I were teaching at a, um, a conference for college students in Europe, and it was on how to reach Muslims. And in that, at the end of that conference, there was a man from France, and he had a word of the Lord for us. And the word of the Lord was a warning that was pretty sobering. It said, I see a spider's web ahead, and there's going to be a dangerous time, and then God will deliver you, and there will be green pastures. So he didn't know what that meant. A few days later, Mark had a dream um, from the Lord again, and it was a dream about a river that was swollen and overflowing, and people were being swept away and dying. He was standing on a balcony looking over at the river, and he wasn't able to help the people. And he knew in the dream that he was in Grenoble. Uh, when he woke up from the dream, he felt like the Lord said, you're going to go to Grenoble for the second half of your ministry. And didn't know where Grenoble was, looked it up on the computer, found out that it was a student. It's a university town in the south of France, about six hours south of Paris. And that it had um, about twice the population of Muslims that uh, France normally has. About, um, so it had about 20% at that time. So we went there, drove there out of our way to go see it, asked the Lord for a huge sign to confirm. He'd called us as kids, brought us together in Bible school. Why in the world would he take us out of Bangladesh? No signs. Went back to Bangladesh, and about a year later, to make the story very short, about a year later, Mark has another dream. And in this dream, he sees a young man that had been in our discipleship school. We had a discipleship school for Muslim converts. And a young man that was in our discipleship school, he's normally clean cut, a soft looking young man. But in the dream, he morphs and turns into a very fundamentalist looking uh, man with a long beard and a white pair cap and the Punjabi on. And he says, someone's trying to kill you in the dream. And Mark spends the rest of the dream kind of running through that. Mark um, confronts Shofiq. And Shafiq confesses that he'd been a plant sent from a terrorist group in our discipleship school. And he'd been with us now for a year and a half. And that he um, had recently gone, what we thought was to visit his grandfather in the hospital and ended up, he was reporting to his cell leader above him because that day was the day that they were going to destroy the center. But he had told them, couldn't go through with it, that we weren't hurting the house of Islam, and that they needed to call it off. And so that started, we knew, okay, this is the spider's web. And yes, God has protected us when we didn't even see um, that we needed protection. We didn't know this at all about Shafiq. Um, and so that started us on a journey of, God, were you really saying but we should leave. It took us about three months of seeking him to find out, while we were still in Bangladesh, to find out, are you really saying leave? And every time, every prophetic team we met with, every mentor we asked, that was the door was closing. This season is over. It's time to leave. So after about three months, we realized he was calling us to France. We made that transition. It, um, 
administratively with the Islamis of God. But we spent the next nine months there in Bangladesh transferring our ministries over. We also needed to protect Shafiq because his group came after him. We had to hide him in the capital city. And I just want to share that God is so faithful. Shafiq is serving the Lord today. And he is able to protect us when we don't even know that we need protection. He walks us through, as our friend said, he walks us through betrayal. That was, the, that was the biggest challenge in the wall for us, was someone we loved and trusted, a young man that was very gentle, had, and, and, and loved, I mean, our daughter called him uncle. Uh, we loved him, but he had gone to that extent of um, wanting to hurt our, us and our family. And it was, it was a process of, of, of us forgiving and choosing to lay it down in love and trust Shafiq as we tried to help then help him as uh, they came after him. But um, anyways, just God is good. We're, we're thankful to be in France. for we got, we got there in 2010. We've been working um, on the university campus, and we also established, after a couple of years of a university ministry, we then also established a bilingual church um, where we're reaching out to the secular people of France and also Muslims and trying to bring them together because, as you know, there's a lot of tension in France um, between the North African population where they used to have, um, there used to be colonies of, of France, and now this, this population is tense. They've tried to come into France and immigrate in. They've not been accepted, and so there's just a lot of tension underneath the surface, but God knew that we could come in and say, no matter where these people are from or what has been in their hearts, God can change them and we can learn to love them and, and bring them in. So it's been a privilege to be there in France. And thank you for your prayers for us. Amen. It's wonderful to have a, a partner in ministry. Um, she's, um, she's pretty cool. And... Um, you know, when, when we were going to get married, when we met in Bible college, um, her name was Cloud. You know, my name is Good. And I'll tell people, people say, I don't know your last name, and I'll say Good. And um, I can't make a lot of friends that way. But anyway, I told her that uh, I was going to make her good one day. And uh, she looked at me and she said, uh, I, already, I already dated a guy named Frank Better. And so, um, you know, it's kind of going downhill from there. So anyway, she keeps me humble. And um, good to be with you. Good to be with our neighbors, the Leotas. We haven't even met yet. But uh, we moved into the mission housing up in Roseville. And uh, we looked at our, our back porch. And, they, and, and uh, Mary Farrington pointed your house out. And um, I, we promise we won't spy on you if you promise not to spy on us, okay? Um, but we're so, so awesome you guys get blessed this afternoon. It's great to be here with colleagues. But um, this, this morning, you know, we're not here to... Uh, you already support us. We're not here to to say, hey, support our ministry. We're here to come and just to say thank you and to minister and to say, God, what do you want to say to us? And it's so obvious from um, the way the services flowed, the, the, the songs, that God wants to just continue to speak a message, Jesus breaking through, giving us a breakthrough. So um, on the screen and in your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 and 2. And then we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And we're gonna, I'm going to speak on the message of Christmas. We have wonderful decorations. It just got us in the spirit, and it's beautiful in this place. And as we focus on, on um, the Advent, 
You know, this is the second Sunday of Advent. I grew up Pentecostal uh, in an Assemblies of God church. My dad was a pastor. I didn't know what Advent was. And, uh, and so, but we wonderfully have adopted that into our family's traditions. We light Advent candles. And, and, uh, and this is the second Sunday of Advent. And the candle for today that's lit in many churches all over the world is the Bethlehem candle. So we're going to kind of focus on Bethlehem this morning. And look at what God wants to speak to us. So it says, Isaiah 53, verses 1 and 2, says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. This is a prophecy about the Messiah, about Jesus. And then in the fulfillment of that, we see Luke chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So we're looking at shepherds, focusing on Bethlehem and this, this scene that many of us know. Uh, many of you maybe were a shepherd growing up in a church play. You know, you wore the towel and the robe, you know, and, um, and, and yet shepherds, why were they there? The shepherds were there because it was the Jewish custom to send shepherds out into the dry, in the dry season in, into, the, into the desert areas. And then when the first rains came in the spring, they would bring them back home. So these shepherds had been sent out from the owners of the sheep to watch these sheep in a very dry area. Jesus was born, well, we don't know exactly the month he was born. But as far as the, um, the time that this, that, that this took place, it was a dry season. And so the thing we want to focus on and know this, this morning is that dryness, the shepherds got a visitation during their dry season. And the shepherds were common. In fact, they were considered dirty. They were considered to be outcasts and someone you would never invite into your home. They were one of the, the lower class people of, of, the, um, of, of the culture. And you know what? It, what was striking me about dryness this, this morning is as we've come from France, and we've been gone for four years. And so in the last four years we were gone, the last time we left, California was in an incredible drought. I mean, we were watching pictures from over there about how the reservoirs had gone down, and they were at the lowest levels, and all the experts were saying, you know, this is a, 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 a drought of biblical proportions, and it's going to take years, if not decades, for uh, California to recover from the drought. And you know what happened? El Nino came or something like that, and man, it was just like the floodgates opened, and you guys were swimming, you know, around this area. And in, in a few storms, in a, in a season, it seems like that drought was almost wiped out. And this is, this is the encouragement spiritually that can happen. It doesn't matter how deep and dark and long your spiritual drought has been in your life. If you are dry in any way this morning, if you're opening up the Word of God in your quiet time and you're being faithful but God is just not speaking, if you're feeling like, you know what, I just wasn't feeling in worship this morning. Everybody else seemed to be connecting, but for me, I was kind of going through the motions and I'm in a dry place right now. And it may be days, it may be weeks, it may be months, it may be years, but the encouragement of the Lord this morning, it doesn't matter how long or deep your drought is, when the heavens open and God pours out his spirit, he can eliminate that drought in an, in an instant. And so that's what we're here to declare is that he can come and break through the dryness. We were uh, just back in France uh, a few weeks ago, 
And we had a retreat, and, and uh, some of our former pastors that are wonderful move in the spirit and the prophetic, and, and they have a wonderful anointing on their ministry. They came and they spoke, and, and um, invited to the retreat was a young man named Diego. And Diego has been with us in France and in Grenoble for about the last seven years or so. And when he came to us, uh, he was, uh, you know, a b- believer, uh, came from an Assembly of God church in Brazil and started to study his master's. He's a very intellectual, very smart young man um, d- dealing with like cold f- nuclear fission or fusion or something like that. Anyway, he works now for the Atomic Energy Association in France. And, um, and through the course of his studies, he had a crisis of faith. And we watched slowly as Diego came less and less and less until finally Diego told us, he said, I don't believe in God anymore. He was so surrounded with the, the intellectual pressure and the, 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 the academic community's ability to relegate God to the realm of those that are, believe in fairy tales and those that are not intelligent. And this oppressive, secular, godless mindset that we live in in France had so infiltrated his thinking that eventually it just sucked the life right out of him. And we saw Diego walk away from Jesus. And he was in this process of, of rediscovering his faith. He called it deconstructing his faith and finding it again. And he was trying to journey back to God, but he was really having some struggles and having ups and downs. And so we invited Diego to the retreat. And uh, he came. And you know what? That second night of our retreat, the Holy Spirit just fell. Man, we had an incredible altar time, just like you were saying about the the Holy Spirit retreat. And Diego just fell on his face before God, and God poured out his spirit on him. And we left, you know, knowing that Diego got touched, but the word came back. Diego got up the next Sunday and testified. He said, I'm a new person. He said, the old Diego is back. He said, my depression that has been there for years is gone. And he said, I'm completely free. And I want you to know, that's what God can do. He really can in an instant. So if you're going through a dry time, this dry time, how, is, how do we get dry? It's caused by a lack of rain. And this, this rain is the receiving of refreshing, of something life-giving from above. And here's the thing to remember. Rain is inconvenient. You know, um, we've been in, up in Napa for the last few weeks. And every time we step out the door, you know, we forget our umbrella. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not convenient um, as you get wet and you're trying to put groceries in your car. You know, you know you appreciate it. It's good that we have rain. But I'll tell you what, rain is not convenient. It cancels flights. It uh, causes flooding. Um, it's, it's not always a, a wonderful thing. And here's the thing. Sometimes our advent, the coming of Jesus, the rain that comes from heaven, his wanting to do something in our life, it's not convenient. And if you're all about convenience, you're going to miss the outpouring. Why? Because rain is not convenient. Mary and Joseph, why, why were they there? Well, we know they were there because there was a, a census, and, and the Roman government had required people to go to their home village to be taxed. Well, this was um, Bethlehem was the home village of who? It was Joseph's home. It wasn't Mary's home. Where was Mary from? Mary was from Nazareth. And yet, here's Nazareth. Now, we know what do we know about Nazareth? And Nathaniel said, can anything good come from Nazareth? And he was quoting a phrase that was known to all the people. Why? Because Nazareth was, it was the worst place. It was, it was the hood of the hood. I mean, it was the place where if you were in Nazareth, you may not have ever get out of there. It was, it was, a, a, it was a hard and difficult place, and it had a reputation. 
So here was a, a girl from a place that had a reputation, and yet here, she was pregnant, and she wasn't married. And if you know that kind of culture, if you know the, 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 um, the Middle Eastern culture, when a, when a girl who is unmarried gets pregnant, it's a shame on the family. And we know in those cultures what often happens when shame gets brought to the family, there's the danger of even of honor killings. Why do you think that Mary was with Joseph on this long trip when Joseph had to go? It, wouldn't, it, it wasn't convenient. It didn't make sense. She was only there because he needed to protect her from leaving her alone with her family back in Nazareth. And so here they were in this place. This young couple was about to get a visitation. But how many of you know that babies don't care about your due date? How many, how many of you moms know that whatever your due date was, your baby didn't care what day that was? I mean, you were ready for that baby to come and it bypassed the date. Or you thought it wasn't going to happen for another th- three weeks, just like our Emma came two weeks early. You know, they don't care about the due date. And so here was this inconvenient visitation. And yet it was a wonderful visitation from God. Maybe this Christmas you need a breakthrough in spiritual dryness. There's no fresh rain from heaven in your life of hearing his voice, feeling his presence, or knowing his favor. And in a lack of fruitfulness, maybe you feel like you're just, your life is not fruitful. What, what bearing fruit in your life is a lot of anger or, or bitterness or, or, or difficulty. You feel dry. And the irony is, it's really easy to get that way in this season. In the season where we celebrate the coming and the advent and the visitation of Jesus is the very season in which we can become dry. Why? Because of all the presents we've got to buy, all the shopping we have to do, all the parties that there are, and we're busy, busy, busy. And that's why we can get even dry in this very season. It's so ironic. But it says in John seven thirty seven on the last day of the festival... See, here, here was one of those feasts, those festivals where everyone's busy, you're traveling, you're staying with relatives, there's lots of food and there's lots of parties. And the last day of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who's thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow out from his heart. And in this festival, of busyness and parties and food and family and travel, Jesus still cries out with a loud voice and says, if anyone's thirsty, if anyone's dry, come to me and I'm going to pour out rivers of living water in your life. Maybe you need a breakthrough. What's, What's a breakthrough? It's funny because whenever we use the word breakthrough in France, they try to translate into French and there is really no good word for breakthrough. They say per se or something like that. It just doesn't translate well. And it's so important. Sometimes we don't know what a breakthrough is. What does that mean? It means breaking through against resistance. It can also be a breakthrough can be an important advance or discovery. So this Christmas season is not just a holiday that marks a historical event. It's an announcing of good news that the coming of Jesus brought an important breakthrough for all the people of the world. And, it, and, it, and, it's, and, it's, and it's a present tense breakthrough. He broke through and he still breaks through. He breaks through the dryness. It's an announcing of good news. And, and I love our song that we sang because it says, he's fighting for me. You know, he's fighting for me. And, and, and this is another picture here that these shepherds got. You know, we, we, we see that, the, um, that there was an angel that appeared and, uh, and declared 
the announcement of Jesus' birth. And then it says, suddenly, we didn't read this in our text, but if you feel, follow the story, suddenly it says the hosts of heaven appeared and they began to declare the glory of Jesus. Now, when I was growing up in, uh, in Sunday school, I had a Sunday school teacher named Sister Sellers. How many of you used to call your, the older people in the church by sister and brother? You know, well, I didn't know her name was Clara Sellers. I never knew that because it was just Sister Sellers for respect. But Sister Sellers, she had a calling to young boys, and she was my Sunday school teacher. And you know what? Back in those days, the real highlight of the class was not snacks. I mean, we didn't get snacks back then. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Snacks didn't exist. I mean, the best thing you could hope for was flannel graph. Man, flannel graph was where it was at. And um, so whenever Sister Sellers was going to talk about the, the, the Christmas story, you know, she had those angels with that flannel on that back. And guess what were the angels? Angels always got put flying above in the air. And we think that because of the visions that Ezekiel had and all that, because we have seraphim and we have, um, we have the angels like that, the, the seraphim and the, uh, the flying angels with wings. But that's not this kind of angel. Because the angels that appear suddenly, the host of heaven, is an army of heaven. It's an, and it says there was thousands of them. The picture I get is this. It's not of the suddenly in the sky, all these angels. I get a picture. Have you ever seen The Hobbit? And when um, that, that, you know, finally at the end, that dragon's coming, and they're doing battle. And then all of a sudden, they turn around, and there's this incredible army of elves that show up, man. Tall, armed for battle. Boom, they appear out of nowhere. And they just, as far as you look, there's all these soldiers. That is what I think the shepherds saw. All of a sudden... All of a sudden, the captain of the host of heaven, Jesus himself, is coming to earth in the form of a vulnerable small baby. And guess who shows up? His soldiers, his posse, man. They're there. They're saying, listen, man, our, 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 our captain is coming, and we're here to show you that he is our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our leader, and we're here to protect him. That was what happened. They got a visitation from the host of heaven to say, guess what? When you follow the Messiah, we've got your back. You've got power on your side. You've got authority on your side. And that's the message of the visitation that God wants to give you, that no matter what your breakthrough is, that there is power, that there is authority, that there is the host of heaven that come to back up whatever promise God has given you to say, what I promise is going to come to pass, even though it seems vulnerable. So Jesus coming with good news to the people of that time who were really spiritually thirsty. Because in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, it says, The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Well, it's kind of easy to not be afraid when you know you got soldiers all over the place. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people, even shepherds, even the outcasts, even those that are recovering, even from those who, are, who don't fit in in society, even for those who are marginalized. There wasn't a lot of good news or joy at that time. Physically, the Romans lorded over the people. And the best things went to Rome. Spiritually, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law lorded it over the people. And the best went to the temple. And they were all under a heavy yoke. The heavy yoke physically of the Romans who could say, carry my, my, my burden. And they would have to pick up their burden and carry it. Or the Pharisees that Jesus said, woe to you Pharisees because you put heavy loads on the backs of your people. And you won't even lift a finger to help them. You see, they were downtrodden physically and spiritually. 
And the new king with a new way of living was really good news for all people because here's what he said. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so when they said glory to God in the highest on earth, peace to men on whom God's favor rests, man, what good news that is for us today and what was for them too. Because if you're under a heavy burden, a burden of maybe feeling I've got to live up to some standard that I'll never attain, or maybe physically you're suffering under the oppression uh, financially or, or emotionally of something in your life that's a burden, the good news is God's favor rests on you. His favor makes all the difference because instead of someone lording it over us, it's us, it's us lording him over us. Jesus, you're my Lord. And not does our best go to him, but his best comes to us. His favor is on us. So Jesus, first of all, breaks through what kind of dryness? The dryness of unbelief. The dryness of unbelief. Isaiah prophesied, who has believed our message? Who has believed our report? So in Luke chapter 2, verse 16, it says about the shepherds, it says, So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Now here's, I want you to see the difference. The shepherds got told something by the angels and they went and they experienced other people got told what the shepherds saw, and they just wondered, but they didn't go. And here's the difference. It doesn't matter who you are. Guess what counts in the kingdom? It's thirst. I love the fact that you're having a thirst conference coming up. Let this be a precursor to just set the table for a conference that's all about satisfying thirst. Is that what counts in the kingdom is hunger and thirst. Humility. And need. And when you've got that, God will open up everything and get everything to you. It's only those who have no need that don't get satisfied. We often miss our visitation from God because we hear a claim and we wonder is it true? Is it true? But the shepherd said, Let us go and see this thing. Let's press through. Let's go beyond our convenience and, and let's even leave our responsibilities here in the field and let's go check this thing out. Let's press in. Let's move from this place. Let's respond. And the result was they saw that it happened in verse 20 just as they had been told. If you want to see the fulfillment of God's promise in your life just as he said then you've got to hunger and thirst for it and seek after it. Because sometimes God will come in a visitation, he'll pour out on you, but there are things that he will hold back from you that only you only get to experience if you'll get out from your place of comfort and you'll seek it and go to experience it. And it says then they return to their dry, dark fields, but with a fresh, new perspective and attitude. The shepherds return, glorifying and praising God for all the things, not they had been told, for the things they had heard and seen. Aren't you tired of hearing about the miracles? You know, our, our, our sister told a wonderful story of the breakthrough that God gave in her life. And it's, and, it's, and it's so inspiring to us. But many of us are saying, you know what, I wish I could have something like that. And we hear it, but we've not yet seen it for our own or experienced it ourselves. 
Many would choose not to believe in Jesus. Why? Because it says that he's, he was a tender shoot. Isaiah said he was a tender shoot coming out of the ground. A tender shoot is weak, small, insignificant. And even in John 12, 37, it says that after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. They didn't believe. Who will believe our report? Why? Because he's just a tender shoot coming out of the ground. So I want to ask you this morning, what's hard for you to believe? That God can supply your financial need? That God can heal you of that sickness that you've been praying for him to heal? That he cares about you? That he's going to be there to back you up? You see, Jesus broke through the unbelief in Israel. There were those who had great need. And if you look at Luke chapter 9, there's three people, the centurion, and he came and he, he, he beseeched Jesus and he says, my daughter's just died. Just come and put your hand on her and she will live. He sought Jesus out. There was a woman that was bleeding for 12 years. If I just touch the fringe of his cloak, I'll be healed. And Jesus said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that very moment. And then there was two blind men who followed him, calling out, Jesus, have mercy on us, son of David. And he said, do you believe I'm able to do this? And they said, yes, Lord, we believe. And Jesus said, according to your faith, it will be done. And their sight was restored. So faith is the key. And if you're dry and you need Jesus to break through your unbelief, he will and he can. Because the work of Jesus in our life may seem very fragile at first, like a tender shoot. We don't have a lot of faith, but Jesus said, if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea. So here's what I want you to know. It's not the size of the dose. It's the potency of the medicine. And if you have a little bit of faith, God can break through. Isaiah 42.3 says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. So you may feel like your faith this morning is like a bruised reed. Or barely lit, just like a small flame ready to go out. And we experience this all the time in France. Surrounded by unbelief. Surrounded by just an oppressive mental attack on our minds. That people come to us at our church and it's like their face just seems to be flickering. Almost gone out. And yet we've seen God breathe and fan it into flame. Because he was like a tinder shoot. And he will give strength to your faith no matter how weak. The disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. And he did. If you can come to him this morning and say, Jesus, I know you've broke through to come and give my faith a boost. Just ask him and he will. Secondly, Jesus breaks through the dryness of hardened hearts. So how do our hearts get hard? How do our hearts get hard? I, how many of you play guitar? You ever play guitar or any stringed instrument? You know the hardest part when you're learning guitar is after you get it, you know, and, and you're playing it, all of a sudden, man, your fingers really start to hurt because you have to get calluses first. And once you get calluses, then you can play. You don't feel the pain anymore. And uh, what causes those calluses? It's the abrasiveness of the metal against your soft skin. It's the same thing as if, you know, you go out shoveling snow or, or, or you know, sweeping the, the, the walk or whatever, you know, all of a sudden you get these, you know, blisters. Why? Because our soft skin hasn't been worked that hard before. And often our hearts are supposed to be soft. They're supposed to stay soft, actually. And yet, through the abrasiveness of life, relationships, 
things people say, things people do, our hearts get hard. Our hearts get hard. And when Jesus was born, the Jews had become hardened in their heart to God's word. And so often Jesus said, he said, um, your hearts are hard. I, I want to give you a heart of flesh. Paul talked about it all the time in his writings too. And we see in Hebrews that it says, be careful. Be careful that when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And every time we gather together and we come to hear the word, and I know you guys get a lot of great teaching here. I know you get a lot of biblical, solid, spirit-filled, anointed teaching. And every time we hear, if we don't respond, it's like the danger is is that our hearts could become hard because the Jews, they they had the word. I mean, not only did they have the word, they had to memorize it. Like whole whole chapters, whole, whole books of the Bible were memorized. They even wore it in phylacteries on their forehead. They had the word, but it could not penetrate their hearts anymore. And Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing to the division of soul and spirit and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the word convicts, it pierces. And we must respond, otherwise we're cut. And then when you get a cut, it can become calloused. And the next time when it penetrates, we don't feel it as deeply anymore. It's like the disciples on the Emmaus Road. It says in Luke 24, 32, as they were walking together and Jesus is talking to them and he's opening up the scriptures to them and explaining things to them. And they said, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures? And this, this burning of the, of the word of God that enters our heart it penetrates to our soft heart. But if we don't respond, then what happens is what 1 Timothy 4, 2 says, our consciences get seared as with a hot iron. When the, the burning penetration of the powerful word of God hits our hearts, and if we don't respond, it actually acts like a cauterization and it hardens our heart if we don't respond. So Jesus breaks through the hardness of hearts. We see that. Zacchaeus, a hardened tax collector who responded. The criminal hanging on the cross next to Jesus. The centurion at the time of Jesus' death. All hardened, but in one moment they responded and God broke through their hardness of heart. So we can penetrate your hardened heart this Christmas too. So I just want to ask you, how's your heart? How's your heart? Has it been affected by some of the hurts that our sister talked about? Guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. And that word doesn't mean guard, like protect it like she was talking about. It means guard it, like make sure it stays soft. Don't let it get polluted. Don't let it get bitter. Don't let it get infected by the piercing. But let the word of God pierce our hearts. So has the business and the pressure of all we have added to this season. And that's the key. The pressure of all that we have had it added to this season? Has that stolen our sensitivity to him? It's so easy. I know it is. But we can let him touch our heart today. He is tender, so he can produce that tenderness in us. So if everything seems dry around us, where it's hard and the seed and the water doesn't penetrate, he can break through even the longest bouts of dryness. I love how this, the, the, the story of the woman at the well in John 4, because Jesus said to this woman who had gotten hard through philosophy 
and even theology. You know, she had it all down. You Jews worship on that mountain, and West Samaritans, we worship on this mountain. And, and, and she had her theology down. But one thing was, was wrong is that her heart was thirsty. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. And the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to an eternal life. And the woman said this. She said, sir, give me this water. Jesus, give me this water. You say that if I'm thirsty, I'll never thirst again. Please give me this water. And she drank, and she, she drank of this life-giving source that Jesus gave to her. And she said, I know the Messiah is coming. And when that one comes, he'll declare all these things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You see, she'd been waiting all her life for a visitation. She knew the Messiah was coming, and she was waiting for him to kind of show up. And then the day of visitation came. And even though she didn't understand it all, she received the word to say, I'm here. The one you've been waiting for. The thirst that you've been needing to be satisfied, that you haven't been able to satisfy out there with all your relationships and all the men. I'm he, I'm the one. And she believed him. And she tasted. And she was satisfied. She was satisfied. So I love the last words of the book of Revelation it also talks about thirst. It says in Revelation twenty two seventeen, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. The water of life. We live in a very dry, hard place in France, but we're believing that God's going to pour out his spirit in revival. In revival, there are, there are French Protestants who gave their lives in this nation. They were almost snuffed out by a Catholic king who couldn't countenance the fact that there were people that didn't believe the same way he did. And, and they gave their lives in our city, in Grenoble, the Huguenots, the, the, the French Protestants, who all they had to do to escape death was to say, um, was to give up the fact that they believed in Jesus by faith alone saves and to declare themselves to, to be you know, a Catholic or whatever. And they chose to not do that. And many of them gave their lives. Young pastors that were sent to galley ships and gave their lives. Women who were sent to tower prisons and died from starvation and disease. Kids that were taken away from their parents and given to, to, to other families. They gave their lives for, for, for that. And, and, they, and, and the, the blood of the martyrs has been shed in France, but there's never been uh, commiserate, an equal outpouring of the Spirit that's there in, in, in response to the price that was paid. But we're there in France believing that God is going to pour out in this dry land a revival and sweep across France with a great harvest in these last days. But right now, it looks dry, it looks hard, but we're believing. And I'm asking you to look around at your family, at your workplace, at your campus. Whatever hard situation that you're in where you think, man, the the outpouring is never going to come here. God, what are you doing? God, it's so hard. It's so dry. Let's believe that God is not going to to bypass. He's going to pour out his spirit on those that are thirsty. And if we'll thirst, if we'll stand in the gap and we'll say, they're not crying out to you, Lord, but I'm going to cry out to you for them.
He's going to pour out his spirit on the dry places of our life. Let's remember that no life is too hard. Shofik was not too far gone to be reached for Jesus Christ. No bout of spiritual dryness has gone too far. He still wants to break through our dryness. But the question is, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? And if you say yes, then he will come to us and we'll experience and we'll drink and we'll be refreshed. Let's pray this morning. Let me just ask you to bow your heads. And Jesus, I want to thank you that you are tender. You are tender. You're a tender shoot, but you came up out of hard, dry ground. And you came, you came as life breaking through the oppression. Life breaking through hardness. Life shooting out of dryness. You break through the dryness. And I pray for every dry, thirsty heart here this morning that you would break through. Break through, Lord. Break through like a river, like a flash flood of your presence. Let your word become alive. Not just reading our Bible in a year and getting our chapters read, but your word burning in our heart. A verse that gets a hold of us and shakes us to our core and feeds us so deeply. Oh, God, break through our devotional times. God, that our prayer time would not just be a list of praying for our family and our friends and our church, but, Lord, we would be so overwhelmed in your presence. That as we spend time with you in our quiet place, you would invade that place. Invade that place with power. In your presence, you are the one who comes again and again and again. In this Advent, oh God, please come again. Please come again to our lives. Please come again to our families, our church, our small groups, our Bible studies. Come, oh Lord, to our campuses and our workplaces, our neighborhoods. We need you. We're thirsty for you, Lord. We're thirsty for an outpouring. Open our eyes and help us to see the armies of heaven, that those who are with us are more than those who are against us, that you are the one who is still the king of the captain of the hosts of the armies of heaven, and you are here to fight for us. You are strong and you are mighty, and though you come in humble ways and simple ways, you are powerful. And I pray you would pour out your spirit and your power on our lives because we are thirsty for you for more of you, O Lord. If you're thirsty for him this morning, as the, just invite the prayer team to come and, and um, you, can, you can come and, and, and express your thirst by coming like the, the shepherds who got out of their, where they were at and, and they left behind what was, what was comfortable and easy and they went and they experienced something and they walked away and their lives were never the same. And you can have that this morning if you'll come experience him. I'm going to turn it back over to Randy because he's going to come and also give a word that the Lord share with you. You know, the the Lord's given a a good word and it's our job to respond to his word. Because we respond to the word of God, 
when the Holy Spirit is on that word, he, which is always because he is the word, but it's our job to respond to the word. And if we do not make a positive response and we're making a negative response, sometimes we say, no, I, I don't want to do that. But the Lord's talking to us, you know, and we need to reach out. So I know that sometimes, you know, we, we're so privileged. We have a couple of families, missionaries that are with us. And the Lord has, has called some of us to become missionaries. You know, he's given us apostles, right? That's the word to be sent. These are our missionaries. And those are gifts from Christ. And some of us have that calling on our lives. Some evangelists and prophets to the church, pastors and teachers, these are gifts from Christ himself. And he is calling some of us. So we need to search our hearts and really allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us. You know, you need to ask, Lord, what is my calling? If you aren't involved in something, or even if you are, what are you fulfilling your calling? Sometimes we even turn away from from uh, the calling because we have to uh, we have to get out of our comfort zone. We have to do something that's uncomfortable. You know, it's not me. I don't see myself doing that. But the thing is, is that the Lord's empowering us to do all that He desires. We are to carry out His work. And and when we when we have this calling on our lives and we don't respond in a positive way, we don't have that yes to that calling, then we're really saying no. And then when we say no, we have that, that dryness that appears and it comes upon us and then we get these calluses. And calluses, as playing a guitar, you know, they, they build up. It's like layers of onions. And you build up another one on top of another one and on top of another one until you no longer feel the urge. You can't really even hear the voice of the Holy Spirit because he is prompting you, but you keep, you keep turning your back. I'm not pointing out to anyone here. I'm just saying that I know that in a, in a body of believers that we have to respond to the Holy Spirit. He's calling us, and if you have something, I, I honestly, you know, the... I know that according to Isaiah and the words that the Lord has spoken is that he has even created a powerful delusion. You know, he talks about that so that the enemy will keep a hold of those people that are not going to come. But we are not that. And he said that if we will turn, if we will hear with our ears, see with our eyes, and turn, which means to repent from our ways, then he will actually heal us. And we can have a physical ailment in our bodies, and it remains there waiting for the Lord to say, I'll heal you. I'll heal you. But he's wanting us to partner with him. And so we have to, we have to say that yes. You know, when, when we have the opportunities, we can kind of, I don't want to do that and shuffle away, but we need to allow the Holy Spirit to be transparent, be transparent with him so he can bring about the good things that he wants to in our lives. 
There's so much more. So we're going to wrap it up, but do come down. And if you have a calling on your life, it could be a missionary, it could be a teacher, a preacher, just it could be someone operating in the gifts of the Spirit, uh, just a helper. It's good to declare these things to another brother or sister because what you're doing when you declare, make a declaration like this, you are creating because we create with our words. We were created in God's image. He spoke things into existence. We do it as well. And so we can take our declarations and speak forth those into, into being. And the Lord, you may not know how it's going to happen, but the Lord does. And so we need to offer our declarations, and our brothers and sisters are here to, to do that. And so come down and, and make a declaration, if that's in your heart. But do respond to the Holy Spirit.